So we're looking here again. Uh, we're kind of doing a little review here. I, I want to kind of get this into your brain and your mind. In this, um, in this method, we're attempting to answer one basic question. What is that? What's the question we're attempting to answer? Do what? Anybody just jump out there. That's it. Huh? Yeah, what did it mean to the original reader? <clears throat> what, what, what did this text or this passage mean to the original reader? And I think we have to keep that question clear in our minds. Uh, what did this mean? If these are real letters or real, real books to real people at a real time with real circumstances, this is not a magic book. Uh, this is not uh, just a bunch of aphorisms of just a statement after statement that are kind of just funny to say. These are real statements to real people, real stories, real, real, really constructed for real reasons. So I want to keep that clear. Does that, does that help any? I mean, that, that's a critical, critical thing. It will force you then to do some of the things, or it will encourage you to say, uh, to do some things we're doing. Then we have the four steps. Number two, the four steps of Bible study. We're going to run through those. What are those again? Oh, wait. Oh, don't give it away. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, I do have that version of the Bible uh, thing, the standard. Equivalent. Oh, you do? I did okay. have that. Grab- okay. I have a whole lot of stuff. I forgot we had. Well, it. Yeah. Okay. okay. What What are the four questions? Uh, four, four, four steps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Prayer. What? Observation. Interpretation. And application. Right. Now let me remind you again. In observation, you're looking for things that generally. You need to, to understand the text are in two main categories. What, what are those? Grammatical. Historical. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Generally, as you review or study the Bible, you're looking and saying, as we're observing things, the things you're observing and, and going to have to get to the point of interpreting will be in the area of gramma- grammar, grammatical matters. We're going to look at some of that again tonight. Or historical matters. There's some history here. That's uh, not clear to you. Did anybody get a chance to look at the Blue Letter Bible app or BibleHub.com? Did you get a chance to play with that a little bit? Pretty cool resource, isn't it? You want to talk about that? We, we, what we talked about, about, does anybody need any help or where it is or how to that, use yeah. it? You, does anybody <clears throat> want help? on? I mean, if you don't have it, grab your phones real quick and put it on there because it's just one of those things until mm-hmm. you do it. It's a free app. doesn't cost anything. The Crossings has a free uh, online uh, guest uh, access to the to the uh, Wi-Fi here, so to the internet. So um, just go to guest. Go to guest, and uh, and then it'll say go to, and then hit your Safari, and it'll say connect to the internet on on crossings. That's what you got to do, yeah. unless you have your data plan on your own, and that's fine too. But you're going to use. Let's do the Blue Letter Bible. Cliff and I kind of agree on this. I think the Blue Letter Bible is probably the easier of the two to use. So you just go to your app store, hit Blue Letter Bible. It's free. And then at the end of class, when we get done, I will show you how to manage your Bibles because the one you're going to get is going to be the King James Version, and you're going to probably want to use more of a standard equivalent uh, Mm -hmm. version if you can. So uh, like the NASB or the ESV or the new King James Version like uh, like Cliff was talking about. So if you can get those on there, update them, and then at the end of class, if you're having trouble, if you can only see the King James Version, come see me up there, and I'll show all of you at once how to manage your Bibles. It's really easy to do. Okay? Yeah. Now, we ask you, and then the third step is interpretation, and then the fourth one is what? Application. 
Okay, now let me just remind you, we're going to work on this, but what is the step of interpretation? What, what are we doing in interpretation? What, what, what are we doing? This is all review a little bit here. So in observation, we're observing generally in the area of grammatical issues or historical issues. What are we doing in interpretation? Yeah, we're asking and answering questions about those observations. We've seen something, then we begin to work with it. So I just want you to have this in your mind. It is asking and answering questions about your observation. We have a very specific methodology in questioning we go through. So it's, it's not just some generalized questioning. It's a very specific method uh, that we'll be, we'll be working on. And then the final step is the fourth step, application. What, what did we say last week? How do you kind of figure out what is application? It's or maybe this was when I was in Illinois. It probably was, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. In, in application, you're attempting to answer this or, or fulfill this statement. What by when? It's on the screen. What by when? So now what am I going to do based on the study of this scripture and by when? Not just I want to be a more committed person. It's not specific enough. And we'll talk, what am I going to do? And by when, in terms of that application, okay? There's so, four, four categories to that, and they've got them on the screen here. You should be able to see them here. It's got to be personal. Application has to be personal, specific, measurable, and obtainable. We'll get into that a little bit more, but just make sure you have that yeah, noted. We're going we're to spend, spend an entire section on that. It's got to be specific. When you say, I'm going to be more committed to Jesus, that, that's not specific. That's an aspiration, not an application. It's got to be measurable. What does it look like? It's got to be uh, I'm sorry, a, a personal, specific, measurable, and obtainable. Like, I can really do this. It's not something that's bizarre. Like, I'll say sometimes to my students, you're not reading your Bible consistently at all. Why don't you decide that this personal, specific, and measurable would read one chapter in the Gospel of Mark every day, four out of seven days this week? That's obtainable. You could do that. So you don't want to go too far, too long, too quick. So that, that idea, I think I've got this Illinois meeting mixed up in my head a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing I thought would be good, are, are you done with that part I was going to ask them about their observations. <clears throat> okay, let's do one thing real quick before okay. we do that. Let me run through, because this is something that we have not done that I just realized, because hmm. let me run the whole program through you. Bring your sheets out real quick. I won't, it won't take me long. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each one of them, but we only got through three of them last time, hmm. or three or four of them, okay? So you need to see the... There's like six or six or seven steps, right? The first one is we're going to begin with prayer. We've talked about that. And journalize or journalizing, journalizing. your prayer is certainly a... a, a He's going to use that word now until Jesus done with that comes back. Long shot. Okay, that's now good. that I said it didn't exist and he found it. Yeah. He's going to use it until Jesus comes that back. That probably, yes. And longer. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then we're going to read the text. How many times? Multiple. Multiple times. That's the answer. Yeah, that's a true question, right? And then you're going to write your initial thought. That's a great place to start, Okay. So pray, read the text, write your initial thought. That's what's on this, this page on the screen right now. The next thing, and I know you probably can't see it in the back, this is where we're going to move into our observation. Okay, And we're going to use the two types. Uh, the two um, categories are grammatical and historical, like Cliff was talking about. Grammatical will include things like definition and word study. Word stu study is something we're going to look at today. Parts of speech, uh, syntax, genre, 
not not Gunry. Gunry. Gunry, yeah. And tense, <laughs> mood, okay? These are easy to find. This is why I wanted you to have the Blue Letter Bible or the BibleHub.com apps, okay, on your phone because these are, they're just right there. You look the word up, you've got it, okay? <laughs> Over here, the historical context, admittedly, that's going to take a little bit more effort, okay? It just takes time, and you'll get a little bit as you go, and just don't get in a hurry, okay? Because it'll be frustrating if you do. Um, that's where you go to like the, and I don't know if I wrote this one on the sheet or not. I don't think I did. PreceptAustin.org <laughs> yeah. or Glow, G-L-O, Bible.com. Yeah, it's a .com. And so um, those are great <laughs> resources, but there is a ton of information on those when you look yeah. at them. So just be prepared, okay? And you'll, you'll look at geography and the historical context and culture. And the other thing, too, did we talk about when we were reading, I, I failed to say this, but when we're reading... Are we reading just the verse multiple times? What are we doing? The section at least. The section at least, <laughs> the book if you can. Okay, uh, That's the unit of measure on that. Okay, so, so what we, we're at, we're at observation. I've got it down here. We've, already, we've read. We're in our observation. Now we're going to take four or five of those observations. We're going to move into interpretation. This is where we're going to ask the questions, and they're on your sheet. I'm not, not going to list all of them. Yeah. Not we're, tonight. <clears throat> No, no, we're just going. No, yeah, 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 later. Okay, yeah. So the definitional, <laughs> rational, and implicational questions, you're going to ask those, okay? I just want you to see the whole program <laughs> one time, okay? And then, then you'll kind of see how to, all the puzzle pieces fit together. The last next step is number five. This is where you're going to write the truth of the passage. Now, if you've read it, you've observed in it, you've done all of your uh, interpretive. Uh, interpretive questioning, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and now you're at a point where you're ready to write what the passage is about. If you were going to define what this passage meant to the original uh, reader, this is where you'd put it. That's a good way to say that. We've never actually said it that way before. So um, I like that. That uh, see, see how I prop him up, too? I, just, I try to help him. So. All right, so that, that's good. All right, so we're ready to go. And then we're going to move into the final step, the application stage, is where we're going to ask those questions. What am I going to do? This is where I take it from my head and move it into the action parts of my body. What if, anytime he teaches, you hear him in a class, he will end this, the class by stating, what if next time or something like that? What if, or what by when is a great one too. Put them both on here. And we know that those need to be personal, specific, measurable, attainable. Okay? So now you've seen all six steps of the program. You're, you read, you observe, you interpret, you state the truth and apply. And prayer is, the, hmm. is part of reading. Okay? So prayer is on there. All right? So... That, that gives you a little bit of an idea to see how, how it all kind of fits together. Now, the one thing I want to <laughs> say about this is that when you look at all that, that looks like a lot, doesn't it? And some of you may be even saying, like, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. Just walk through it. Don't think of it like making a huge step. We're just going to take one little step each time, and I, <laughs> I promise if I can do it, you can do it. I'm an extremely slow reader, okay? It, I've always been that way. It takes me a long time, but... If I do this process, I march through it, and the end of it, I'm like, hey, <laughs> it's kind of cool, all right? Yeah. All right, that's good. It. Good. Go ahead. Okay, well, uh, so what we want to talk about here for a minute, if you put back the observe a slide there about yes. uh, grammatical historical, we ask you to look at a passage this past week and identify a couple of observations and help us now. Tell us what the text is. We'll read it with you. And tell us what is it here in terms of some of the grammatical matters that you think is related to it. Okay? You did your homework, right? We didn't put any particular assignment. We've done this in the past. We may assign a passage. 
You have to tell us next week before you can come in class. Or you got to so, run laps. Yeah, you know, or run yeah. laps or do push-ups. <laughs> like Mike Leach did to make the, 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 the other day. Yeah. We so did. <clears throat> did someone look up a passage? If not, we, you know, we, we, it's okay. We, we're, we just ask you to kind of begin to play with this. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. For what? Four, nine. Four, nine. Romans 4, 9. What let a me, great passage. Let me pull it up. <clears throat> yeah. Romans 4, 9. You mind if I read it since I've got a mic in here? Okay, here we go. So it is. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Now, what observations did you make out of that that would be grammatical or historical? Righteous, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And Chris? Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here it is, right here. <clears throat> yep. Diakosune. So, <clears throat> when you looked it up, what when what what gra- what grammatical piece of it was helpful to you? Was it just the definition or anything else? Ah. Mm-hmm. And so it, it shows his, uh, 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 the, the lineage. The lineage, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So really, you have a couple of things going on here. You've looked up the word righteousness. What does it mean? What is its background and history understanding? And then you're saying, and you're connecting it with the reality of circumcision, which in our methodology would be what kind of observation? Historical. What's the historical setting? What's the, what's the importance of circumcision in the ancient world as it relates to these people? So good. <clears throat> so that little process... Caused you to see something you hadn't seen before. Just defining terms, looking how it's related there in the text. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Just one verse, right? So, Chris, could you uh, could you take me back just for a second? Yes. um, To uh, the uh, the um, uh, observation here of the uh, parts of speech. So, what we had here was defining a term like that. You were also dealing with some historical context to say what's the relationship there. And it would be interesting in that ninth verse, there's a part of speech when it says, is this blessing, that's a demonstrative pronoun, it must relate to what? Something previous. Pronouns always refer to something previous. So is this blessing 
restricted. In other words, what Paul is saying there is, is, is this. So what is this blessing? See, that, that would be a grammatical thing. And I think you're right. What it is is this declaration of being declared righteous that Abraham had and that David also sustains there in chapter 4. Good. So you see how this is working to say one observation may lead you to another observation to say, I really need to know what this means. So good, good. Anybody else? An observation you made, what, we want, you know, what was it? Was it grammatical? Was it historical? What did you do? I found Leviticus <clears throat> Le- <clears throat> Okay. Let me get there. Let's do it together. Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus 2026. 20, okay, tell us what you did there. Ah, let's read it. I'll read it for the recording. So with the people, Luke, uh, uh, Leviticus 20, 26, thus you are to be holy to me for I am holy and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. So where's the imperative? Be holy, be holy and the declarative. I've set, set you apart. Yeah, Good, that's yeah. right. How about the imperative? You be holy, for I am holy. Where's the declare? That's declarative, isn't it? Yeah. So, so you've got an imperative followed by two declaratives. Isn't that interesting? So noticing how the language operates there. So we've got grammatical observations here of mood. Right? Good. Did that clarify anything for you? Yeah, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're to be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. There's the imperative followed by the declarative. Yeah. So the declarative statement is actually sustaining or supporting the imperative. This is why you're to be perfect or holy. You're to be perfect. Why? Because I'm perfect. See? So there's that imperative, declarative kind of model there that we need to be alert to. Is that new? Is that, as you're reading now, are you noticing the different moods language is written in? Imperative, declarative, subjunctive. You know, subjunctive is the mood of possibility. It's not necessarily going to happen. Romans 6 uses this when it says, we've been crucified with, or we died with him, we were raised with him, that we might walk in newness of life. It is in the subjunctive mood to suggest possibility. It isn't automatic. Now, you were going to say something here. Yeah. The, no, I just subjunctive Yeah. Yeah, it's generally subjunctive is usually is your word might involved in it, that you might walk in newness of life, that we might be um, a children of light. It, it's the idea of it's possible, but it's not inevitable. And that's an interesting thing there in Romans 6 because Paul says you were united with him in death. You were raised by him by resurrection that you might walk in newness of life. Now, there's a couple of possibilities here with that. The subjunctive is that it's not inevitable, but it is possible. So, so those are the kinds of things we're looking at in, in mood. So Most of your statements <clears throat> in moods are going to be 
declarative or imperative. Though, right. Most of them. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the subjunctive mood is somewhat less likely. Uh, it might be there. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a subjunctive mood joke. <laughs> Only, only grammar nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's a, it's kind of a subjunctive. It's a subjective subjunctive joke. You're scaring Move me on. a little. Yeah. I know we're moving on. So again, we're trying to find anybody else. Uh, we don't want to cut anybody. Notice something grammatically or historically in the text you looked at that 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 helped you kind of start follow out. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So 423, I'm trying to get there. I got yeah. it on the screen. Four, 423. What, now, what, what sort of grammatical observation did you make there? Okay. Uh huh. Close. We're, that's all right. Nobody knows how they're pronounced. What, what verse did you say? Uh, 423. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, 423. Uh-huh. Now, what are you reading out of a different translation there? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Get, okay. Yeah. So, so you're, yeah, this is it right here, but this is, uh, is this ESV, Chris? NASB. NASB, yeah. So you... <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Okay. Good. Okay. So it sounds like right now, and this is good because this is where we're going tonight, that most of us, when we're working on, if you will, in, in, uh, in our text, we're looking up terms to define. And that's important that you do that, to not assume you know what the term means. You know, uh, that that that's, can be really um, a failure on our part if we don't do that. So we're going to work us through here tonight to show you how to actually deal with those words. So on number one here on your handout under observations, we're just going to go here again on this grammatical data. On grammatical data, we have number one here is uh, A is to determine. I'm on week. Yeah, I'm on the right week here. Uh, you want to determine... <clears throat> The genre, the, determine the genre, G-E-N-R-E. Brian, do you not have a hand? You want one? You want? Yeah, um, these, they're all six here. Uh, determine the genre. Now, the reason, again, we said, oh, here we're on week three. They're all six there. So the reason we determine the genre is because it helps, oh, you need a couple, to, to set us up for what we're reading. Um, I gave you, I think, the illustration or the, Example, there you go. I gave you the example. I was a catcher when I played baseball, and I always gave the pitcher signs because I needed to know how to set up for what was coming. Right? I need to know is a curveball slider? Is it what you know, what is it gonna be? So we want to determine the genre of this material so that we know what kind of literature we're dealing with. And the basic literature kind in, in the in the Bible are poetry. Which I like what one guy said, poetry is language at high voltage. Okay? It cannot be pressed logically. It's poetry. Okay? You don't make a poem into a doctrine. 
you know? And sadly, people have taken the Psalms or the poetic literature and created doctrines out of them because they treat them as if they're logical discourse of material. So there's poetry that's language at high voltage. Second, the most important narrative, or most important is, is narrative or story. Narrative or story. Which is really, in narrative or story, you generally are always attempting to look for character development. There's a character or characters being developed. There's some conflict that needs to get resolved. So you're reading the story, not for every detail, not every leaf on the tree, but how are the characters being developed and what is the, the conflict that's attempting to be resolved. And that's in narrative material or in the Old Testament. Um, so I, th- that's, a, that's one of the largest sections of, of literature. And then the third one you'll, you'll run into the most is epistolary or uh, epistles. Uh, those are letters. The letters of the New Testament epistles, and they're 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 very logical, and they they have argument style where they're pushing forward an idea. There's the development of an idea. There's a concept here, something that's being purported, that's being pushed forward, and so they tend to be very logical and analy- analytical, uh, and uh, don't have people or things. They're ideas that they're working through. The last uh, sec- kind that you, we're not going to do anything in is called apocalyptic, A-P-O-C-A-L-Y-P-T-I-C, A-P-O-C-A-L-Y-P-T-I-C, apocalyptic. That's the book of Revelation, Daniel like that. And, and, and that kind of literature is uh, highly... Uh, regulated by imagery and metaphor. It's highly regulated by imagery and metaphor. And the difficulty of apocalyptic literature is you've got to know what those images meant to the original reader. It doesn't matter what you think they mean. What did, it, what did they mean to the original reader? I use this example. Um, <clears throat> if Moses and the Apostle Paul came here tonight, you know, um, and we drew up on a board here, a deal, and we were talking about uh, things and life, and I drew a wagon being drawn by some horses and put on the side of it 1889. What does that refer to? The what? Land run. Do you all know that? You know, you know why? You're from Oklahoma. You know, you go show that to somebody in Pennsylvania, and they go, I don't know. I don't know what that means. It's got guys like the number 1889 on the side of his wagon, right? No one would know what that means. No one. Moses and Paul would be here, and they're brilliant, and they're godly people. They wouldn't know what it means because their thought world does not include those metaphors and images that are so clear to us, right? If Moses and Paul were here, and they saw an eagle and a bear fighting, we would know that is symbolic of what? America and Russia. Right. We, we know that right up. They wouldn't have a clue. Okay? Those symbols didn't mean that then. So here's where the problem comes in apocalyptic literature, is that people assume that those symbols are 21st century and they're 1st century. And they cannot mean anything 
other than what it meant to the original reader. I mean, think about it. You're dying under Diocletian's boot in the Roman Empire, and the message is, hey, but don't sweat it. America will beat Russia someday. <laughs> huh? That has to be. Who? Yeah. yeah, I mean, th- th- <laughs> this is why so much apocalyptic literature can get crazy because it's highly sensitive metaphors to that time. It means perfect sense to those people then. So that's that. So we'll know the genre. And my point and flip, remember when you do the old point and flip Bible study approach where you flip and point and then read it and try it? Yeah. You always end up in that kind of language when you do it, every time for some reason. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. You never get into anything that's just straightforward. It's something about some goat or something. And this is where history is so important to understand. What did those images mean then? Mm. Because remember, what's the first question we're trying to answer in studying the Bible? What did this mean to the original reader? That's the nature of the Bible. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis or maybe Francis Schaeffer that said, this is the scandal of the Bible. The scandal of the Bible is, it is it's historically located. It's not mythological. It's not from the underworld. It's historically located at a particular time in history. And that's the scandal of it because it's so located in a particular period of time in a particular life. So one of the genre that helps us to not make those kind of mistakes. B, um, an initial thought of what the text is about. Now, this is after you've read it several times, after you've invested some time, it's important to kind of say, okay, you know, I think this is about, and just an initial thought. Now, remember when Chris said, when we get back over here to this state, the truth, you may adjust your initial thought. Your initial thought is just to get you into the flow of this thing. You don't have to, you don't have to nail down and just, you know, get yourself dialed into this. Just say, I, I think this is about, which will help kind of guide your research or your study of what you need to work on. So that's a, that's a, that's a, that, that matter of that. Okay. C, the definition of terms, the definition of terms and word study method. Definition of terms and word study method. Now we're going to do something tonight here. Hopefully be of value to you. Uh, uh, You uh, looked up the word righteousness Uh, And it was very helpful, uh, and it kind of got you on the track. Uh, Here's where I want to kind of alert you, and we're going to show you a method. And so you got some room here to do some drawing, I hope, or on the back page, wherever. The the problem with defining terms and then drawing some conclusion uh, is, is fundamentally that when you go to the Blue Letter Bible like that, you're only going to the dictionary, Right? Now, if you go to the English dictionary and look up the word there, T-H-E-R-E, it can be used as an adverb, it can be used as a conjunction. There's about 37 different definitions of that term. And if you get into some of these dictionaries, you'll realize you, you can go on and on and on and on and on and on in getting a definition. Anybody find that when you were looking? <laughs> Did you notice how many statements there were about it? How do we then determine, if you will, what this term really means? Here's the the determination, and here's how we'll do it. You have to know how the author uses it, okay? You have to know how the author uses it. It's not enough to do it. For instance, the word flesh, sarkikos, 
or sarkos, has three different meanings, depending on the context and how the writer is using it. For instance, in Romans 1, it says Jesus, a descendant of David, born of the flesh, right? But in Romans 6, Paul says, these are the works of the flesh. Is that the same thing? No. This is the outworking of human depravity. So we, need, we got to do it. So I, I want to walk you through this. I'll give you an example here in a second. First of all, we get the word defined. That's where you go to the dictionary and get the word defined. Okay? You can draw these circles if you want to. Because the further in here, the bullseye, the more determinative the definition is. The second level would be go to the same book. So found this thing in Romans. So I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to look up the word righteousness in the dictionary, but I'm going to go through the book of Romans now and look at how that word is used throughout Romans. you got to use a concordance here. This is where, again, tools and resources. Uh, You can look in Blue Letter Bible, and it will show you where the occurrence of this word is. Chris, you're going to... Yeah, it's going to show them okay. that. Well, let me just show you that on Blue Letter Bible real quick. Yeah, do that. Um, on just Blue, just me, anything. And I'll, I, I taught on forgiveness. Cliff was out of town, and I taught his class Sunday. And I taught on <laughs> forgiveness. And I'll give you just a real quick example of this, because it was really stark to me, because we struggle with that word. So here's the Blue Letter Bible. And um, I'm going to go over here to the NASB real quick to get us there. Oh, I'm and I'm going to sure. go to uh, Luke 17. And I'm going to come down here. Now, see, what I was looking is this word right here. I say forgive. So you do it a little differently on the website than you do the app. On, yeah, the on phone's Blue a lot easier. Yeah, the, the app is so much easier on Blue Letter Bible, but I'm, I've got it on, here, on the computer here. But you're going to end up in the same place. You're going to go to the interlinear, and then I came over to the word uh, forgive. Uh, let me find it. Where is it? Uh, forgive, down, right here. Bottom. Okay. And uh, I clicked on that, and I came up with the word. And what does this word mean? Because we struggle with forgiveness, right? <clears throat> That's what I was talking about. Why is it so hard for us to do this? Well, maybe we under, an understanding of the word would help, all right? And so look what the... Um, I don't want to use that. Where's, the, uh, where's my definition? There it is. It comes from two words, epo, to send and... Is it Hamie Cliff? Is that how Hamie, you said it? Hamie. Away from. Mm-hmm. So basically, the concept is to send away from. So what I wanted to see is how is that word used in the rest of the Gospels, for instance. Okay, so I slide all the way down to the bottom. Let me just go down to Luke. See, it's showing you here on the left here. Now, in our method, Chris, stay in Luke. Stay in Luke, because that's where you yeah, are. Yeah, really, Matthew, Mark. Yeah. So, so we would then place. go down here and say, okay, where are the other occurrences of the word in Luke? Here we go. Here they are right here. Yeah. Sorry, I missed. I didn't get them Sorry. fast enough. Here, we, here they are. So... Leave. See how it says leave? Left. Forgive is the word, and left. See, that was really interesting to me, isn't it? How? The concept of forgiveness is in reference, how it's used in other places in the book of Luke and Matthew and Mark, for that matter, is the concept of leaving. See, for instance, as for these things which you're looking for, the days will come which there will not be left. That's the same word for forgive. One stone upon another. So this word here has some meaning to the author and how it's being used. So we will go, go back, if you can, go back to the target. So yeah. we're going to go get the word, let's say, in Luke. Now we're going to look at all the occurrences of this word in Luke. Okay? 
And we're going to try to see what, how, do we, how do we categorize those? How are all these words used? What different meanings or nuances are there? And Chris has seen some of, some of this is the idea of leave or let. So then we go, or, so, and we say, well, you know what? I, I want to keep looking. Then we go to the same author. Who wrote the book of Luke? Luke. <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's right. that who's in Grant's tomb. <clears throat> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Luke. Okay, so we want to go to the same author. Is there anything else Luke wrote? Acts. So we would go with the same author. We would go and see, does, how does he use this word in Acts? Same, same word, in Acts. And then when we get through that, say, you know what? Okay, I, I, I'm still I'm intrigued. This is being meaningful to me and helpful. We're going to go to the same genre. Now, what is Luke? What's the genre of Luke? It's a gospel or narrative. So now we can go to Matthew, Mark, or John. See? We're staying with the same narrative or same genre. So we're going to, so, so we're going to stay with, with narrative. So we're going to do Matthew, Mark, and John. If we still say, wow, I'm still interested, then we can go to the same testament. Now the whole New Testament is open to me. But the further away we get from this bullseye, the less determinative they are. The closer they are in the same book and the same author is how we can now come to some conclusion as to the meaning. Now, let me give you an example on this. I've heard this all my life um, because people only refer to the dictionary. That's all they do. Look here in your Bibles on John, and if you have your blue letter Bible or your app up, this will be real helpful. Um, in John chapter 20, uh, in John chapter 20, oh, Chris is going to help us here too. In John, John chapter 20, this famous uh, story of Jesus uh, talking to Peter after he's raised from the dead, and he begins to inquire with Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Now, in the original language, if you studied this and looked at it, when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the Greek word agape. That is, by definition, the strongest word for love in the Greek language. There's agape, phileo, eros, and sturgia. There's four terms. Sturgia is rare. Uh, I don't, it's just rare. So Jesus is saying, Peter, you love me? Agape. And Peter says, Lord, I love you. Where are you Phileo. at? Phileo. Huh? 21. Huh? 20. 21. Okay. What did like, I say? I'm not seeing this. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? 20? I'm sorry. He must be in I'm the sorry. NIS. No, no, no. I, yeah. I'm sorry. 21. <laughs> 21. 21. 21. There we go. Yeah. 21 starts at 15. There we go. Um, sorry. And so P- can you show us that? There it is. Here. Yeah. Peter, do you love me? There it is. Agapao. That's the root form. Go back. Give Peter's response. And Simon, son of John, he said, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Look at it. Phileo. So what we have here is Jesus saying, I want you to agape me. And Peter says, well, I, I feel I'm fond of you. We, we get the word brotherly love here. Philadelphia is the word, one of the words we get from this. Phileo. Philadelphia. A brotherly love. 
And so <clears throat> I've heard preachers just make hay out of this, that what's going on here is that Jesus is working to get him to say agape. And he asked him three times, you know, so that proves it, right? He kept going after him. And yet Peter never says it, never says it. So the question is, how does John use phileo? See, back to our chart, we've got the word. It's in the Gospel of John. So how does John use this term? Chris, will that blue letter pull that up for yes, us? Yes, it will right now. Okay. Let me get to that real quick. Okay. John 21. Yeah, John 21. This would be say, okay, I'm, I'm curious about phileo. Okay, so you, you could do agape as well. Look at them both. 15. 21-15. Yeah, sorry. There we That's go. all right. Okay. Tools. There we go. And you want the phileo? I want Peter's the phileo, response? and I want okay. you to yeah run it down for me. Okay. And let me get to it. You're almost there. You know, you know, he said, Love you. Yeah, Lord. you know that I, here it is right, right here. here, right? Okay. Run it down for me. There it is. There it is. To be fond, what, back up just for a second. See what it says. Um, it's right to, here. Whoop, whoop, go back up. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm here, man. I'm here for you. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. To approve of, to like, to, sanct- to treat affectionately or kindly. Now you go look up the word agape. That, that means self-sacrificial love. So, Chris, if you would go down now and let's let's find it in the Gospel of John. Then, Here we go. Which verse are you? I know you're looking at one particularly. Which one is it? Yeah, it's 520. There it is. But, but back up. Go, go a little further. Go back up. Here's where you would say you would start looking in John. So, in fact, John 520 is the first occurrence of phileo, the first time it shows up. Can you read that? 520? Can anybody see that? For the Father... Loves the son. So God's fond of him. Doesn't really love him. Kind of likes him. Because the word phileo is used here. Not agape. The father loves the son and shows him all things he is doing. And the father will show him greater things. The argument that phileo in John's vocabulary is an inferior word for is absurd. You will go to the dictionary, you can find that. But it cannot withstand the evidence when you study how does John use this term. He uses it just like he uses agape. He just gets tired of using one. You know, when you wrote a paper in, in college, like, teacher said, use another word. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> yeah, right? Word usage. So all the way through John, you say, wait a minute, John doesn't use that word like that. He says the Father loves, does this make sense? You can't say phileo is an inferior term, or you're saying that God's love for Jesus is inferior. Right? You want to go there on that one? Yeah. So what we've done is we've settled for the dictionary definition, which in general should be consulted. But if we want to know what the word really means and how it's used, we've got to consult the author. You ever heard this before? I mean, I heard all my life that Jesus was trying to get Peter to do what? Cave in and say, agape, right? Agape. You know, it's what I want you to say, Peter. Come on. Never does. So this is a methodology. If you're going to define a term, and you did with righteous, that's really good. But be careful. 
be careful to think that the dictionary rendering is enough to understand the usage. Or you'll make a serious mistake like most times I've ever heard this. Uh, really raises another issue is uh, why does Jesus ask him three times? Ever thought about that? Yeah. So what's he doing? Punishing him? Restoring him. Here, there's one other little detail in that passage you might want to notice. That when the disciples get out of that boat and Jesus is there, he's got a fire. It's out of charcoal. You don't make fires on the beach out of charcoal. And the only other time a charcoal fire is ever mentioned in the Gospels is in John 18 when a little girl said to him, you're one of his. Just look it up. Charcoal doesn't show up anywhere else in the Gospels except John 18, where Jesus has taken him right back to the same place and said, let's get this worked out. You just have to notice that. No other reference of charcoal fire in the Gospels except John 18, just three chapters previous. So Jesus is up to something, right? So, so this is the way we want to be careful to define terms, basically, out of, the, out, of the, out of the dictionary. That's fine. But do not lay down on it and say, well, that's what it means, okay? I want to make a point here. Because he went into a lot of material right there. Anybody feel a little overwhelmed? Okay. I just want to keep going back to this, all right? Follow the steps. Word study is in there. Word study is just part of it. That's okay? right. It's just all we're doing right here is what? Observation. That's, yeah. that's the simple that's part of it. Yeah. No, nothing more. Okay. Yeah, when you do that chart, all you got to do is just start noting them. Okay, here they are in John. Here they are. Here they are. And then begin later. We'll look at what do we start doing with them to get ready for that. There is no algebra in this, or I would be <laughs> out. Okay, so, yeah. Right. But this is, a, this is a methodical way to determine how an author uses a term. Does that, does that make sense to you? And again... Um, very, very interesting. So that's how you define a term. Now, on the back page, on the back page, we're just going to say it again. Uh, in these observations, uh, we're, we're uh, looking at here is the matter of tense, past, present, and future. Past, uh, present, and future. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, did anybody in their work notice tense? I know we got mood, declarative mood, and imperative mood. We've got a term that we defined, uh, I think that you, you'd said mood here about get wisdom. Did anybody see anything in, with respect to tense in your work? Like past, present, future? I, I, I went very amateur. I simple. That's great. Okay. God so loved, loved the world. Yeah. Yeah, right. Good. It, Mm -hmm. so that you might have eternal yeah right that that idea of there's a past tense that is or there's a there's a future tense dependent on a past tense so i i want to really alert you or to make you sensitive to the idea of how important tense is we'll use ephesians 2 8 9 and 10 later 
when we get into the interpretive step. Ne- next week, we're going to hit interpretation. We're going to spend two weeks in interpretation. But we're trying to really sensitize you to what to be looking for. Really sensitize you. So uh, the notion of tense, past, present, future. How's the author thrown it in terms of time? Uh, that's really important. Uh, then C here, uh, we have, we've talked about mood, and some of you have already seen this. It's, it's, it's a declarative, it's imperative, and it's subjunctive. Those are the main ones. Uh, yeah. oh, it's interesting, there's another mood in Greek that's called optative that is this strong wish. Uh, and you, it's just interesting, in Romans 6, when Paul says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Beloved King James Version says, God forbid it. Well, the word God isn't even in the text. Uh, it isn't. It's not even in the text. It's, but because this is in the optative mood in Greek. The, in Greek, it's the two words megenoito, which means it can't happen. It, it cannot come into being. It's not possible in the optimism. King James has said, well, how can we say this in the strongest possible way? God forbid. <laughs> so there is this <clears throat> mood of strong wish in Greek. And if you run into this term in your blue letter Bible, and you see the word optative mood, O-P-T-A-T-I-V-E, <clears throat> uh, just realize this means this is the strongest mood of wish, whether it's positive or negative. God forbid, that's impossible, that's, that's negative or, or positive. So if you run into that on Blue Letter Bible. Yeah. No, I was just thinking uh-huh. what I was studying on the mm-hmm. Luke 17, what I was asking uh-huh. about the beware of, is that, that an example of that? Beware of false teachers? No, the beware <coughs> of, be on guard for forgiveness. I don't remember, I don't I think it is the optative mood. But it'll it's say pretty it in rare. the Blue Letter? Yeah. I did it, not notice that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it'll, it'll say optative, declarative, imperative, uh, that kind of thing. So you, you just have to be alert to that. Um, and it just means there's, you, you can't say this any stronger. There's no other way to say this. So you'd kind of perk up and say, if you can't say this any stronger, then this must be a significant command or a significant statement. So we just add that for you there. Okay, uh, then we've got those resources there. Uh, number two, we said looking for historical data. Observing historical data, and Chris is true is is right to say this is the hardest part uh, because um, you have to sort of begin to accumulate resources. But for instance, when Jesus taught on um, don't worry about tomorrow, you know the birds of the air like that, he said for food is more than uh, or life is more than food and and life is more than raiment. You know it'd be interesting historically when Jesus said this. Don't worry about what you will eat. It'd be interesting to understand what the, the, the historical setting of food scarcity at that time. Because the facts are, most of the people that were listening to Jesus were living from hand to mouth. So when he said that, that I mean, for us, we worry, and, and we've got enough groceries in the house. You know, my mom has enough for a nuclear attack. I figured it out. And it's all candy. And crackers. Come my mother, my mother eats like a kid. I mean, I'm serious. I look at mom. Why don't you have a sandwich or something? Oh, these 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 uh, orange slices are really good. Um, but but so I mean, you know, it's kind of like so what for us. But in Jesus' day, historically, 
to say, don't worry about eating. Blow your mind. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you know, do you, do you know how many meals the, the, the basic Jew ate? One. One meal a day. They would have maybe some milk or something to drink for breakfast, and they had one meal at night. That's it. One meal. And so thinking that, that through to say, what, what's the historical data that I might need to look into? Now, I've said to you before, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia is an invaluable resource. It's four volumes, about 120 bucks. You can buy it electronically if you want to, but you'll never use all of it in your lifetime. You can pass it down to your kids, your grandkids, you know, your great-grandkids, because you'll never use it all. Um, there's another uh, set called the uh, Interpreter's Bible Dictionary. <clears throat> I don't care too much for the Interpreter's Bible Commentary, but the Interpreter's Bible Dictionary that will get resources and articles on these kind of matters about food, about, uh, 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 you know, a workforce, all those kind of things. Can I say something about <clears throat> the, the sure. ISB, the International Standard <clears throat> Bible Encyclopedia? This is an older version of it. The one Cliff's talking about is the newer version. Yeah. But if you go onto the tools of Blue Letter Bible, watch the screen. I'm going to pull this up. One of the other options is dictionaries. Other than mm -hmm. interlinear, that's where we're getting all the... Uh, grammatical resources, mm -hmm. but the dictionaries here, if you flip through here, come down, look what we have. Uh, we don't have it. I did? Yeah. There we go. There it is. Here it is. Isby. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys are International me, Standard so. <laughs> Bible. Now, the electronic version, because it's free, is a little thin, and it won't have the articles that, uh, you know, that another uh, kind of, uh, or the, the actual uh, uh, hardbound side will. Mm -hmm. But you know, I was telling a story the other day that in um, the prodigal son, uh, you know, uh, when a friend of mine who works in the Middle East, and this is still true, so it's still history, he tells the story, he's on television, Al Jazeera, a guy I know that works in the Middle East, and he's uh, telling a story about Jesus. And of course, uh, they're, they're interested, what, what do they know about Jesus? And says, you know, this father, the son leaves, and then the son comes back, and the, and the father sees him and starts running. Now, my friend said this. The guy behind the camera that's running the camera looks at Carl and does this when he says, and the father starts running at him. He goes, ah, yeah, yeah. Because that guy knows culturally what's that father going to do? Kill him. Yeah, see, we're Americans. He's going to kill him because he's dishonored the family. It's called an honor killing. He's going to kill him. And so the guy looks behind the camera and goes, so he goes back, and then Carl keeps telling the story and how this father runs to him, embraces him. And he said the guy then came out the camera like this. <laughs> Blew his categories out of his brain. <coughs> the other thing is, for a for a man of dignity to run, the rabbi's right in the Talmud, it's a sin to see a man's ankle because you're not being dignified. I mean, there's so many historical things. This father is just blowing to bits. In fact, I told my students the other day, if you understand the history of this story, I think Tim Keller's right. The title of this is The Prodigal God, not The Prodigal Son. The prodigal Son is almost secondary here. The one who's extravagant, wasteful, is the father, 
not the boy. The father's the wasteful, extravagant, beyond belief person in this story. Every village had an idiot like this kid, you know, that did stuff like this. So, so the historical. So, Isby, the anchor Bible study. Um, I have down here too is the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. You need to read that because in the first maybe 150 pages, you'll get a real setting of what ancient Israel was like in terms of their approach to religion. Did it's worth the, the book. Huh? Did you give them the author on that? Yeah, Edersheim. It's on the bottom here, I think, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That book's 20 bucks at Mardell's and worth 200 because you can't read it all in any time. It's, it's 900 pages, and it's just stacked full of historical data. Okay? Want to honor your time, but yes. <clears throat> no, if, if we go, let's finish with that video. Oh, Chris, we forgot. I know. That. We're, okay. we're going to finish yeah. with it. Can, we get, can you give us two? It two, won't three. take that long. <clears throat> okay. This, this is will... on observation that we're learning to observe. So watch the screen and do, <laughs> do what the, the screen. This is a perfect illustration of why observation is so important. Okay, so hold on. Let me get up here and just Thank watch. you. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> no, no worries. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. This is the test of selective attention. Count how many times so follow the, the instructions. wearing white pass the basketball. How many times does the white guy pass the basketball? Count them. One, two. To the people in the white shirts, how many times they pass it? Yeah, just how, how many, many you passes did you count? The watch. The correct answer is now, 15 keep passes. watching. But did, did you, you see, see the, the gorilla? gorilla? Watch this. We're going to roll it back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how many did not see the gorilla? This is the importance of this. accurate observation. Observation takes effort. We just think we're looking. You just think you think you're observing. You think you're looking, and all of a sudden that gorilla walks there, and you never even see him. It's fascinating. We use this every time. Yeah, I'm so sorry, good. Chris. I forgot. <laughs> so in this coming week, we want to ask you to continue. Now next week, let me let me just warn you. Not warn you. Let me alert you. Yeah, that's a wrong Warn's word. A better word. Yeah. Warns it. No. <laughs> next week. We want you to come with, and if you want to use the observation out of Romans, the term, we're going to work for the next two weeks on how to interpret. If we want to use what we did in Proverbs or in Leviticus or in Romans, either way, or if you want to say, I saw an observation or I see an observation in a passage, a word or something grammatical or something historical, we're going to show you how to take that and interpret it. Okay, how to work the interpretive process. I want to spend two weeks on that because this is where the teeth of this thing really get. We're just trying to get you uh, observant and alert to what you're looking for. So you know it's either grammatical or what? Historical. So come prepared to give us some observations from a passage so we can then walk you through the interpretive process.